Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and we got Brian with us today. Uh, you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, help you learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo as per the usual. But first, do not forget to like and subscribe. If you love what we do here and it's actually helpful for you and it's blessed you in any way, uh, consider supporting us on Patreon. We actually now have new content exclusive to Patreon. I teach an apologetics course on Sundays at my church, and I'm going through various defenses of the faith and things along that nature, so we are posting the audio there for all of you who actually faithfully have given for a long time, and you guys have given, not expecting us to give you anything back, uh, and we appreciate that. So um, I've been really enjoying it, too. I've been listening to them because I haven't been there live for it, so I've been enjoying the recordings. Right, because some people might not know this, but... Uh, if you depending when you jumped into the church split and our giant abyss uh, of content, you and I now go to different churches. Yeah, we Ma split. Yeah, we, <laughs> we the church split did in fact split. Um, no, I just uh, of course I stepped down as pastor uh, where uh, he was attending and he continued to attend to help the new pastor and I help uh, my pastor uh, at. Frontline, so it all works out in the end. It's just one whole vicious circle uh, because the pa your pastor now is actually a guy who used to go to Frontline, so we've just traded places. All of yeah. this, <laughs> it's all just connected now. It's just is confusing, but okay, guys. Uh, today we are continuing our series through uh, the beginning parts of Genesis. We're not going to go through the whole book because that would take us for way too long. Yeah. Uh, but we are going to go through that, and we are walking through this text because we are now jumping into apologetics and theology. And one of the issues I have um, sometimes with apologetics is people defend the faith uh, by using, of course, the various philosophical arguments for God's existence, which I believe are very strong, and the historical arguments for the resurrection, which I also believe are very strong. But they sometimes forget to use theology as part of that apologetic. Um, and I think it's important that we use good theology because I've a lot of atheist objections to the faith, they will object uh, based on poor theology. And I'll be like, well, that's not what I believe at all. So actually, you don't understand that. Uh, some, For example... We are reading the book of Genesis. Historically, it's always been accepted that Moses was the one who wrote this book. Mm -hmm. Now, if Moses wrote this book, um, we as Christians understand the fact that the inspiration of Scripture comes from both God and man. God works through man. He doesn't mind control man. It's not dictation, the exact word as God whispers in his ear they're writing down, because there's also like mundane details, right? Like Paul's over there like, yeah, by the way, I go to see so-and-so, but can you not forget my books when you come see me? <laughs> like really weird details that have nothing to do with much of anything, because God works through man. Yeah. Um, we even see like the, the difference in writing styles between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in, like they're essentially given the same information from different perspectives, but you also see their writing styles, and you right. can tell who wrote what, which book based on their, their writing style. Their entire personality comes through in their writing style. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, that's important because a lot of people believe, like, and a lot of uneducated Christians believe this, that uh, that's like God basically told them exactly what to write down, the exact specific word, and the exact specific wording. And that is what we call dictation theory, and that's what Muslims believe. Mm -hmm. That's what Muslims believe in the Quran. And uh, the Christian theology never has believed that. So it's important as we move forward that that's what we're talking about here. And also, uh, Brian, you're using the English Standard Version, right? Yep. 
Okay. Uh, what I'm going to be using today, what I'll be reading from, is the complete Jewish Bible. And that is because as we get into this, the Torah, which is, of course, the first five books of the Bible, um, the Torah is Jewish. Okay, there's no way around it. It is Jewish. And one of the biggest issues that we've had, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, is the fact that Christians have redefined, in many ways, Jewish writings. And it's yeah. not been helpful to the faith. It's actually part of what's caused division in the church to the like great schisms and the Protestant Reformation and the Protestant Reformation defined, redefined even more terms. So it's important that we take this all the way back. Yeah, it seems for a lot of Christians, this obviously isn't everyone, but it's almost like understanding the full Jewish context of the Old Testament is almost like a bridge too far. It's like, well, I want to know the context, but not that much context. Can I just stick with like the, the stuff I'm really familiar with, the more, the more Greek-influenced parts of the Bible? It's like, no, it's all there. And the New Testament is just like really a continuation of the Old Testament, and it's really, it's really just one, uh, one flowing text that really isn't one that's completely separate. Right. It's just the time is different. Right, which is why actually Marcian, he was the one who made the Old and New Testament, like made that distinction. Otherwise, beforehand, it was just the scriptures, right? Mm -hmm. So it's important that we do that. Um, in fact, there's actually this weird anti-Semitism that's kind of seeped into the church because I'm like, well, Jewish rabbis always said this, and this is what was always taught. And I'll be told, well, the Jews rejected Messiah, so therefore their, all their theology must be bunk, which is a complete bandwagon fallacy and a genetic oh, fallacy. Terrible. Through, it's it, through and through. So that, guys, when I'm going through this, I'm going to talk about the Jewish thoughts behind this because ancient sages and rabbis have written about these for eons, and I think it brings a lot of clarity to the texts. So anyway, that's what we're doing here. So we're going to just jump through, and we're going to go through Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to break it apart. But first, uh, do we want to read through the entire text? Do we want to do that? Well, I think first we have to do our favorite comment from... Oh, you're video. right. I almost forgot the, our favorite comment from the last video, which is setting the stage for apologetics and doctrine through Genesis 1. Our favorite comment was by Josh. This one popped in today, uh, and we really liked it. So this is what Josh had to say about our last episode. He said, this video may not, may not get a lot of views, but it was truly well done. You really uh, backed up what you believed and were kind to other viewpoints. Genesis is a beautiful book that expresses the beginning of the redemptive history of man. And I thought that was really well put. And I yeah. appreciate the fact that they noticed that we were gracious to other positions, even positions that we wouldn't necessarily hold. Yeah. And he also noticed that they didn't get a lot of views because YouTube messed it up. So thanks, YouTube. Yeah, thanks, YouTube. Uh, seriously, we uh, this has happened in the last two episodes. We premiere it, we'll schedule the premiere, and YouTube will just flub it up. Um, yeah, it left it as private, and it was like, no, if you're going to premiere a YouTube, you have to make it public. Otherwise, people can't see it. Correct. So, so it missed all the sorry. algorithms. So our audio listeners had no idea, but all our video watchers uh, missed it. So, um, or at least it was. It got up about 25% what we normally get. Yeah. So anyway, uh, pretty well, Thanks low. for the comment. Yeah, but thank you for the comment, Josh. So let's, I'm just going to read through Genesis chapter three. Chapter, I almost said through. That's <laughs> two and three to get whatever. <laughs> All right, so we're just going to read through it, and then we're going to comment and discuss it, okay? So if you want to fast forward, you can, but I'd recommend you not to, so that way you keep the words fresh. So this is what Genesis 2 says. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, along with everything in them. On the seventh day, God was finished with his work, which he, ha which he had made. So he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. God blessed the seventh day and separated it as holy, because on that day, God rested from all his works, which he had created, so that it itself could produce. Here is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created on the day when Adonai, God, made earth and heaven. There was a there was as yet no wild bush on the earth, and no wild plant had as yet sprung up for Adonai, God, had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no one to cultivate the ground. Rather, a mist went up from the earth, which watered the entire surface of the ground. Then Adonai, God, formed a person, uh, which is Hebrew Adam, or Adam, from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, so that he became a living being. Adonai God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he put the person whom he had formed. Out of the ground, Adonai God caused to grow every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided into four streams. The name of the first is Pishon. It, it winds through the land of Havilah, and there where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromantic, resin, onyx, stone are found there. The name of the second river is Gishon. It sound, it's winds throughout the land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It is the one that flows toward the east of Ashur. The fourth river uh, in the, is the Euphrates. Now, so they mention the Tigris River and the Euphrates, and these things come up in Revelation, too. I find it interesting that these geographical locations are reflected specifically in the book of Revelation. So Adonai God took the person and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. Adonai God gave the person this order, you may freely eat from every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You are not to eat from it, because on the day you eat from it, it will become certain that you will die. Notice how that phrase in the Jewish Bible is very different than what is worded there. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to talk about this as we go forward. Uh, Adonai God said, It isn't good that a person should be alone. I will make for him a companion suitable for helping him. So from the ground, Adonai formed every wild animal and every bird that flies into the air, and he brought them to the person to see what he could call them. Whatever the person would call each living creature, that was to be its name. So the person gave names to all the livestock, to the birds in the air, and every wild animal, for, but for Adam, there was not found a companion suitable for him. Then God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the person while he was sleeping. He took one of his ribs and closed up the place from where he took it with flesh. The rib which God, Adonai, had taken from the person, he made a woman person. And he brought her to the man person. The man person said, at last, this is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. So she is to be called woman, which is Isha, because she was taken out of man, which is Ish. This is why a man is to leave his father and mother and stick to his wife, and they are to be one flesh. Giggity. That's not in the text, though. I no, add, you added that. I added giggity. So they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So that's a lot in there, but I will thoroughly enjoy this discussion with you, Brian. Yeah, so I think we can start at the beginning, right? So we covered the first six days um, in Genesis 1. So seventh day flows over into chapter 2. Um, I think one thing, too, we see that um, 
the seventh day, like we talked about last time, it, it seems to be a day. And you can hear what Will read out of the, the Jewish Bibles. It was very specific to it on, on being a day. And one of the things that kind of stuck out to me is it says that um, God blessed the day and made it holy, um, which I think is really cool. So, he, so God makes it holy. And then if we fast forward a couple chapters and we go to Exodus 20, Verse 8, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So I thought it was kind of interesting where we have this kind of um, relationship where we see in Genesis 2 that God made it holy, and then he's commanding man through the law to keep it holy mm-hmm. through the respecting of the Sabbath. Um, and then if we go further into the New Testament, we Hebrews 3 talks about entering God's rest, which is making parallel to the Sabbath. And then we also have Colossians 2, 16 through 17, where it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but substances belong to Christ. And I think we see that we Christians can enter God's rest and stand on the finished work of Christ, which releases us from this requirement of the Sabbath. So we had God made it holy. We are to keep it holy through the law, and then we see Christ fulfill the law, and now it is holy. Right. And so, it, yeah, the Sabbath is holy. And now one of the things I did want to mention is that even though now Paul says certain people argue basically which day is holier, um, be, each of you convinced in his own mind. And that is because, and I'm going to explain this controversy real fast, Jesus died in the evening on a, on a, on a Saturday. Okay. The Jews, when did we say in our last episode was when the day started, when the sun went down. So... For them, it was the next day. For the Greeks, it doesn't start until the sun goes up. Mm -hmm. So to them, they're saying it was actually a different day. So there is this controversy on which day is more holy, which day did Christ actually rise from the dead. And really what it is is how you keep your calendar. Um, So what this comes down to is uh, now God's the only one that can consecrate something. And when you actually find out when it shifted to Sundays being the day, of uh, historically speaking, when Sundays became the day of worship, was actually during the time of Constantine, and the Jews and the Christians at this point weren't getting along so hot. Yeah, they kind of butted heads. Yeah, they butted heads. That's a good way to put this right now. They did not get along. In fact, at one point, the Jews, uh, because they didn't like Roman rule, they were you know doing a revolt. They actually named themselves a Messiah, uh, and that didn't obviously wouldn't go very well with the Christians. <laughs> so the Christians were like, nope, we out, peace. And uh, what ended up happening was Constantine was like, you know what? We just want to separate from the Jews entirely. Christ rose on Sunday. This is our holy day. This is the day we worship now. And if you read uh, all the different confessions from that time, they all pretty much admit it. So technically speaking, if it wasn't for that spat, we would still be worshiping probably on Saturdays. Now, it's just this really weird thing here. Um, I don't want to get into it because certain. that's why... People get all sorts of, like, worked up over people who are, like, Seventh-day Adventists. Oh, they worship on Saturday. And it's like, well, technically speaking, the sixth day of the—God the, rested on the seventh day of the week, right? Mm-hmm. And so in our calendars, in the Greek calendar, the technical day that the week starts is Sunday and ends on Saturday. And Sunday, by the way, meaning the sun god. That, that's pretty well known, right? So Sunday, the sun god, because Constantine, the Romans, oh, we're going to take that as the holy day because that was the holy day for the, for the sun god, and this will be easier for the Romans. Mm-hmm. So Sunday, and then Saturday, Sunday being the first day, Saturday being the last day, so that would be Sabbath. 
What's funny is that even though that is still technically the calendar we use today, is how in our culture and in our world today, that's totally not how it actually operates. Yeah, the weekend is Saturday and Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it's not the weekend is Saturday. The weekend is Saturday and Sunday. So we, in our culture, pretty much act like Sunday is the last day of the week. And then what happens on Monday? We're always like, what is it? Well, it's a Monday, first day of the week. And technically speaking by the Greeks, the Greek and calendar should have been Sunday being the first day of the week. So a lot of this gets very confusing when it comes to Sabbath. Point is God called a day to be holy, which is the seventh day. I guess it depends how you keep your calendar, but either way, keep it holy. All right. That's the idea. It was kind of funny when I grew up, um, a lot of people that I was surrounded with, not everyone, but a lot of people truly believed that the Sabbath was Sunday. And so I just want to say that explicitly in ancient Jewish culture, the Sabbath was Saturday. Right. That was the last day. So if you're all freaking out because you can't do, you can't do certain things on Sunday and because you're you trying missed. to respect the Sabbath, you missed it by 24 hours <laughs> or more than because technically it was Friday night to Saturday night. Right. So um, I know. Be, don't be legalistic about Sunday because you're already wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to, and I'll be ecumenical here. You know, Paul says, let each one be convinced in his own mind. I'm just going to tell you guys to keep a day that is holy. And we go to church on Sunday, so we're not like trying to be hypocritical, hypocritical here. We're just saying, historically yeah. speaking... The day God rested was Saturday. Exactly. And the day that he established for the Jews to keep the day holy was Saturday. Exactly. Now, one of the other things I wanted to mention, so there's a, this is actually really interesting the way this works. So in Genesis 1, we had the name of God as Elohim, right? That's the plural God. That, mm -hmm. um, that's also used for pagan gods, but there's a plurality there. Trinitarians use that to point to the fact that there's multiple persons within the Godhead himself, blah, blah, blah. But we have Elohim, and Elohim is uh, considered very masculine. It's considered like a word for, to describe God when he's the God of order and structure. One, again, masculine. That side is what's supposed to be Genesis 1. It's actually literally... So, And this is another thing that people really don't understand. It's why I get frustrated sometimes with my egalitarian brothers and sisters that say men and women are completely the same. Uh, always, you know, Especially after Christ, it's all the same. Um, there's no differences between them. And I'm like, well, the problem is that we miss some of the, the Jewish thought here. And the fact that, for example, in Hebrew, the name of somebody was more than just a title of their person. It was something about their being. Like that's, that's why they would name, uh, there was even name changes, right? In, in scripture, because that name change indicated something about the identity of that person, not a title of that person, but that he just went by. So the names of God are really important because it's the same idea. So Elohim being the, this meaning like God of order, structure, and masculinity, right? So that's why in the very first chapter, what do you see? Was point by point, he did this, he did this. It's order, it's structure, it's speaking order into chaos at the very beginning in the first three verses. Mm -hmm. And after that, it's just, boom, this happened, boom, this happened. This parallels with that, this parallels with that. You know, the light parallels with sun, moon, and stars. The, the earth itself with the plants and things on it. We see those things reflecting. It's showing order and structure. Yeah. And then we see a narrative shift in Genesis 2. So one of the cool parts, too, about Genesis 2 as well is the fact that notice how it recaps the, the creation account. Yeah. We start again in verse 4 where 
starting over essentially. Yeah, it's okay, and that's how God created it. Many atheists have pointed out, like you have two different creation accounts here, which means that it's contradictory. It's like no, one just gives it. They are two different accounts of the same event. You can have so if something goes down, you can ask Brian's account, you can ask my account. We're going to tell you about the same event just from different different accounts. Yeah. So Does that make sense? So the account from essentially Genesis one is really like the ten thousand foot view from Correct. essentially the perspective of God. And then to talk about let us, let, and and then you have Genesis two start in verse four. We're really getting the perspective of Adam. Correct. So it is, yeah, it's really it's really almost a first person view to almost to a degree. And then the name for God shifts. This is the first time in Genesis two you see the word, what we call Yahweh. Yeah. The what is referred to as the tetragrammaton. It's the four letters. For those of you who do not know, Yahweh is not actually the name of God. It is actually it could be. <laughs> it might be. We don't know. Uh, the name of God to pre- to uh, prevent using His name in vain, the Jews use four letters: Y H W H, um, and it was been you know just pronounced by the Jews like Yadavei Hakvei or whatever. So when it comes to Yadavei Hakvei, these are two different. So you have Elohim and Yadavei Hakvei. These are two different names of God, but one is the God of order and structure. And here we see, notice how God's interacting personably with the creation. This is now the personable side and the loving side of God. One might say, I don't want to sound like a progressive here, the fem- what we consider the feminine side. The reality of dualities in scripture. Now, before you all be like, oh my goodness, he's saying God's a woman. That's not what I'm <laughs> saying. Say I'm saying mankind is created in his image and man and woman are the opposites of these things showing the fact that they both culminate together in one flesh and that reflects the nature of God. Uh, God is masculine, by the way. So for people who get upset about that, sorry, he is masculine, but it is what it is. Whenever, that's why like things like the shack that make him a woman make me just roll my eyes. <laughs> but the point is here is that you're seeing uh, in the names of God himself here, you are seeing a different narrative uh, and it's trying to convey a different meaning one is a personal God. One is a thousand-foot view God of order. Make sense? Are we good? I think we're good. Okay. I just I can't tell if everyone's screeching at me uh, through there. So in verses um, 5 through 9 now, so 4, we're kind of restarting the narrative. Now we're from Adam's perspective. And uh, he says, um, When there was no bush of the field, and yet in the land, and no small plant of the field yet, had sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Um, this verse is cited by many young earth creationists, which we are going to dive a little bit differently than some young earth creationists here. Uh, we don't believe, at least I'm speaking for myself, I think you agree. We don't, I agree. I, I, don't, I don't buy the, the theory that the first time it rained was the flood. I don't buy it. And the, the, this is the verse that they'll use as proof. They'll say, oh, well, there's, you know, the, he was watering the ground with a mist. But notice when he's doing that. There's no man yet. There's essentially no bushes or trees or anything yet. Um, God's sustaining creation through a mist. And I think that's really speaking to the sovereign power of God. God is sustaining his creation because of what? what ha- what's not there yet? Well, man is not there to work the ground. So I don't think that we can take extrapolate and say, okay, well, you know, he was watering with mist, so he was there was no rain, and then but also understand and accept that, you know, specifically it talks about 
Adam working the ground, and even that's one of the things that gets harder after the fall. So I don't think we can say, okay, well then man's working the ground now, but it's still just mist. It's still it's watering the, the ground and everything else. And scientifically, it just doesn't make sense. So, because the next thing that happens too, is he talks about this river, right? So we're like, oh, okay, well, he's, now he's watering through a river, maybe not the mist. Um, how, does, how do rivers flow? Just think about this for a second scientifically. Rivers flow because there's water in one location moving to another location, downhill. Um, where does that water come from? Well, it comes from rain falling on the ground, collecting into, into basins that form rivers, and that flows down through. That's how that works, and it flows to the oceans or lakes. Um, the other way that uh, those start flowing is from brooks, or not brooks, springs. Where do springs come from? Well, springs are also from rain. <laughs> Rainwater flows down. It pools. It connects to underground waterways, creates pressure under the underground waterways, and pushes that water up, and then creates an, an above-ground river. So either way, we have, we have rain having to essentially just create these rivers. So I don't, I don't, it just doesn't, to me, follow from the text, at least, that there's, that God is somehow sustaining everything with this kind of different form of water until the flood. Also, uh, we can t definitely trust your scientific knowledge since you have the exact same qualifications as Bill Nye, the science guy. <laughs> I don't know if that removes my authority or adds to it. I, think I don't know. I'll leave that to the audience's discretion. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not a scientist, and neither is Bill Nye. He is not a scientist. He's an engineer. He's an engineer. Uh, um, anyway, so the other thing I wanted to mention, I forgot to mention this before. People get confused about the term rest by God because there are different terms for rest in, in Hebrew. And, of course, we just see our English translation, and we call it good. But the thing is that so rest in Hebrew could mean comfort, and it could mean, of course, to sleep. But in this sense, it also means to cease. So God doesn't rest, right? He's not like us where he gets tired. He merely ceased. That's what that means uh, when it comes to Sabbath. He completed the creation. Exactly. So then you'll notice as well that, you know, the garden he created in the east and the east comes up a lot. You're going to want to pay attention a little bit to that. Uh, you don't need to sit there and pull out a map and try to figure out where all the stuff is at. Because histor historians and archaeologists have tried to figure out exactly where all these locations are. Now, depending on what you think happened before the flood, certain people believe it was all one continent that have split once the flood happened. Which actually, by the way, when you look at the continents, I remember when I was a kid in grade school, I was looking at the continents at one point and was like, wait, those look they could fit together. Did you do that too <laughs> as a kid in grade school? It's like, Africa looks like it could fit right there. And that look, wait. So there is, a, I can see where people are coming with that. Like if the plates mm -hmm. shifted, whatever. Um, but I'm not, I don't really care. I don't have a dog in that fight. Like most of these things, I don't really have a dog in that fight. If somebody could prove to me in scripture, we're like, nope, there's definitely how God sustained the earth. I'd be like, oh, instead it, he didn't, it didn't rain until the flood. I'd be like, okay, I really don't care. <laughs> like these are just things I think like, I just don't care about. I'm just not passionate about. So I'd only heard that theory a couple years ago and I was like, wait, what? You think it didn't rain before the flood? Why? And I did some research on it like, oh, there's not a lot of real evidence for it besides we see it didn't it, we see it didn't rain in Genesis two and we see that it does rain in Genesis seven to start the flood. And there is no other mention of rain between them. 
but there's no mention of a lot that's of other argu- things. That's an argument from silence, though, right? Yeah, so, it really is. Um, now, the other thing about that, so just so you know, that answers in Genesis, they themselves are not one way or the other on this. I've seen articles defending both views, so I don't really care. Um, anyway, um, so then I want you guys to notice uh, something here, and I don't know how where, where you wanted to go with this part, but one, one thing when it says that God formed a person, which is the Hebrew word Adam or Adam, Adam, what people don't understand is that Adam and Adam are this, uh, Adam or Adam and mankind and man are all the same word. So Adam is the same word as mankind. It, so he's the father of all. Now, when people, they don't really understand this because when they go, well, where does Adam come up more in scripture? Well, guys, he's there, there throughout. He's the, he's the first representative of our race. Mm-hmm. So when we see that from Adam, from the dust of the ground, he, uh, he was picked up and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So God breathes into him the breath of life. And I find this to be really interesting as well because yeah. the breath of life, we're not... So when we're talking about life in Scripture, and especially the Torah, we are dealing with what we call um, true life or animate life. We're not talking about, you know, non-sentient life, like a, a cell that moves but isn't really self-aware. Mm-hmm. Um, so that this whole part is really interesting. Also, Adam shares the same root word as red, and also as earth or soil. And these things, so what people don't understand too is that Hebrew is a root word language. So they'll have one root, and that root has multiple meanings kind of throughout, and it's in different words, and that root reflects other things. For example, there's a whole thing when you get to Adam, Adam, red being blood, and then you deal with, of course, the red heifer situation where they would, of course, slaughter the cow. Mm-hmm. And the reflection of that with Christ and the sacrifice for mankind, it's all kind of interwoven in there. We might explore that at another time. Point is, though, guys, look up the root words and see what they're connected to in Hebrew. It might actually make you go, oh, my gosh, it's so cool. Sometimes you'll connect like 16 verses and it just clicks with what's being that there's an under spiritual thing being being referenced all throughout those different verses. Well, you mentioned this too with when God created light, that a lot of times in Hebrew, it's not either or, but both and. Exactly. And we have that here, as you're just talking about with Adam, it's Adam the man and Adam mankind all in one word. person, in one word. It's nuts. And yeah, yeah it, the, the light is a great example of that. It's so because we as like, we come from a very Greek in culture, so we think very either or, either or. And sometimes it's both and. Mm hmm. And uh, that's what the Jews kind of get at a lot. So anyway, uh, go ahead, Brian. I wasn't sure if there's something you wanted to mention there. Oh, I was just saying that, you know, we also see, um, you know, the Adam's perceiving these plants growing up the ground. And like, wait a minute, I thought plants grew first. And then, you know, then a couple of days later, then we have Adam. Is this kind of a contradiction? And no, it's not talking about because we're giving Adam's perspective. He's saying as he's seen it, he's seen plants growing He's assuming that they didn't exist before, and they sprout out of the ground, just like he's talking about rain, and obviously it's not raining, so how did he know that? Well, he's this is the same thing. This is fully God, fully man, as far as the inspiration of Scripture. Um, so it isn't a contradiction, and we're it, he's really talking about the providence of God, I think, in these first few verses as right. we get started. 
Exactly. So it's just showing the fact that, okay, yeah, so Adam's looking around, things are growing, things are flourishing, um, things like that. And of course, it's like from Adam's perspective, but he makes clarification statements like, and God had not yet caused it to rain, right? Like those things. And again, this is, this is Moses writing about Adam, who is, who it, Adam or Adam probably told other people, and it just has gone down the line. So the other thing I wanted to take time to talk about here is how the breath of life worked. Now, the breath of life is, the life is not something that can just be made. It's something that has to be done by outside intervention, right? To bring forth life, they keep, the, uh, nowadays, and scientists and all these people seem to think that time plus stuff will equal life. And yet, no one's been able to do that. Uh, so this is completely untrue. Something outside of our four-dimensional space. And when the people hear me say four-dimensional space, I'm not sure if I was clear enough in our last episode. I'm talking about up, down, back, forth, side to side, and time. Okay. So time is the fourth dimension you're adding to Correct. three-dimensional space. Right, because you're up, down, back, forth, side to side mean nothing if there's no time to put, the, put them all. Yeah, so. you have position, and now you also have win. Exactly. So something outside of those things had to create it. That is the that is part, the Kalam that we talked about last time. So something outside of those things had to create. So life here in the Hebrew is in the plural sense, which is interesting. Uh, so we might even say, and he breathed into them the breath of lives. Interesting how mankind continues to live on. So this is uh, breaking, uh, so this is talking about breathing lives into men. And also this brings into the question for people like, wait, lives? Like, is that lives into one man? Is he talking about all of the different men? What, how can there be multiple lives within the man? And people have wondered, okay, is that, is that the spirit and soul? Because one of the other debates is, is the spirit and soul different things, mm -hmm. right? That's a great question. Is the spirit and the soul the same? And so the spirit and the soul, are they the same or are they different? This brings up the Jewish thought of Ruach HaKodesh, Rach HaKodesh, meaning the spirit life. Everything else, what we would say, has soul life. So in other words, when God breathed the breath of life into us, he gave us spirit life. This is what exists within us. This is the very thing that when we say would go to heaven, okay, the spirit. But the soul would be what we consider the mind. And all creatures have a soul, which is soul life. Mm -hmm. I just find it interesting that, that interesting. Uh, how we would, because there, you'll notice in uh, Genesis and in Job, it says the soul of every living creature. And uh, there's this weird Christian thought of, well, animals, they don't have souls. <laughs> it's, no, they have a soul. They just don't have spirit. And we think about it. They don't have spirit. But what is, what is God? And it says, uh, I think in Matthew, God is what? Spirit. And yet he created us in his image. Therefore, we have a spirit. Pretty cool. Just, just these are fun. Those little fun, like Jewish thoughts that you don't get yeah. when you just read your Reformed commentary uh, that the fortieth Reformed theologian has published, and everyone just buys a hook, line, and sinker because they don't actually study half these things. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm being cheeky here because it actually really, really, really annoys me how, oh, we got the John MacArthur commentary. Oh, we got the Darby commentary. Oh, we got so-and-so systematic theology now. And it's like, and they not, and they almost say all the same things and none of it's really that profound. Yeah, it's just been, through the history of the church, has been this, this just undertone of this anti-Jewishness. And it's like, but then we hold this Bible, like, this is the word of God. And like, well, the word of God you're holding is is written by a whole bunch of Jews, to Jews, for Jews. 
really the whole thing. And it's only to the end. It goes, oh, and also Gentiles. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that we're like, well, this is ours. is like, no, no, it's theirs. And thankfully, I mean, Roman, I think it's Romans 10 talks about, I mean, it's Romans 11 talks about, you know, don't be boastful about it because you are grafted in, but the root, the, the branch belongs to them. So <laughs> I think it's something that we should all be a little bit humble about. A little is, bit thankful for, yeah. You know, thank, thank goodness. Thank God. Literally, thank God that we... We get to be part of this, mm -hmm. the, the promises and the covenants made to the Jews. And the other interesting thing here I wanted to talk about was notice how right away Adam was given stewardship. He was instantly given a duty, a job, take care of, name the creatures. And, oh, you and I didn't talk about that. Uh, in verse 4, in your ESV, it says, these are the generations mm -hmm. Of the heavens and the earth, or in the Jewish Bible says, here is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. I want you guys to notice something. So there are a lot of people think, okay, the earth has to be old. All right, it just has to be. I cannot accept the young earth. Uh, there's too much evidence against it. And I don't care what side of the fence you land on in that, because the other people will say this, uh, there's too much evidence against an old earth. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's say, and for those who are young earth creationist people, plug your ears, okay? This is gonna annoy you. <laughs> But it never says how long they were in the garden. Never says. Never says how long they were there. So right here it says these are the histories. These are the generations. Who knows? And also, when it talks about Adam's years, is it counting years once death took place? Like, yeah. okay. After the fall? Yeah. After this, you are one year old after this because that's actually when time really matters to you and began for you. Or do we consider it the moment of creation? I'm, I probably think moment of creation. I'm just going to say my opinion would be that, uh, just because I don't know if anyone else would count it afterwards. But maybe they didn't care to count afterwards until that. I don't think it matters, but people get all worked up over this. Um, I, I really think you're missing the point if that's what you're focusing on. But anyway, because yeah. actually, I'm going to go on my tangent. We're go doing it. it. I'm going for it. I'm just pushing the mic away. Go, Will. We are, do this all the time where it's we try to impress our views into the text. We try to get the text to tell us more than what it actually tells us. Right? I'm wearing the shirt. You're wearing the shirt. Exegesis doesn't care about your eisegesis. By the way, check out our merch store. Yes, check out the merch store. That's a good plug. Go back on your soapbox. Good job. But we try to make the text say something and try to put pieces together that aren't there. And if you're doing that with the age of the earth and you're making that your biggest focus when you're reading this, you're completely missing the point. The point is God created, okay? And I also want you guys to notice that since Moses was not right into atheists, because atheists, because back then everyone was a theist of some sort, so just whether they were polytheist or a monotheist, whatever. Notice how Paul, how I mean, how Moses wrote about the celestial objects, right? The sun, moon, stars, objects, uh, plants, nature, all animals. All the things that were being worshipped. All the things that were being worshipped. Moses is going, no, it was created by the one we should worship. So this is more of an apologetic against a polytheistic culture uh, than it is an apologetic to atheists because back then we're polytheists. So I... I I find that funny. People like they'll read Genesis, like oh, I don't see how this proves anything about our atheism. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, because I'm not talking to me, to you guys. It just, by the way, you should just accept God exists because clearly. In fact, I find it funny how all societies, so all of history, was all like, yeah, there's definitely a supernatural world. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, after the Enlightenment, atheists are like, nope, never mind. Everyone was always wrong. We're the we're the enlightened ones. And it really is kind of interesting if you think about it from a materialistic, deterministic perspective. 
what chemical determined all of mankind to believe that there's a supernatural power that created them. Exactly. <laughs> well, because Dr. Sam Harris, a famous atheist, wrote The Illusion of the Will, because atheists will admit that, or Matt Delahunty, all these different atheists will admit the fact that there is no free will if you're an atheist, because you are literally whatever nature gave you. You can't, you don't know your own, you don't control your own thoughts. Your brain is just automated by nature and nurture, yeah. and you think that they're your own thoughts, but they're really not, and so therefore they become determinists. They say it's an illusion of the will. And if that's the case, then why is it that you would even argue with people who are theists, people who believe in God? Yeah, or, they literally couldn't think another way, according to you. Exactly. They're just an organic meat machine that does whatever its outside inputs tells it to do. Exactly. So, uh, anyway, so right off the bat, uh, Adam, to get back on topic, Adam jumps right into being given stewardship and command over the, over the earth. People have asked, how long did it take for him to name all the creatures? That was a big question. Like, did he do all that a day? Did God give him super speed? Blah, 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 blah. It doesn't say. Stop. Put it on the text. He named creatures. That's what you need to know. It makes sense being made in the image of God that he would be he would be given a role of hierarchy above creation. Right. Because he's created in the image of God, right? And it's and here is the other issue. A lot of people don't like the word hierarchy. They don't like it. But guess what? It's a reality. Too bad. Yes, it's a reality. <laughs> God is the, at the top of our hierarchy. There's a hierarchy within a society. There's a, and God says he blesses the authorities and whatnot. He blesses hierarchy because that is how you bring order to the chaos. If the, you're looking in the Bible for where it doesn't say hierarchy so you can prove your point, I need you to read this word again on my shirt because that's what you're doing. <laughs> Isogeting. <laughs> Sorry, all the audio listeners. I yes. Said ice Jesus. This is why you should watch it on video. It's way better. Uh, the other issue here, so not other issue, the other thing we want to talk about is so notice how God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. Eden was a land, and then the garden was in the midst of it. So that so we oftentimes think of Garden of Eden being the only place. It's like, no, it's the land of Eden, and the garden was in the midst of it. But then he put the person whom he had formed in there, and out of the ground Adonai caused to grow every tree, pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Ooh, the special trees. Yes. So we have the tree of life, and notice, we'll talk about this later, but notice when they are cast out of the garden, he separates them from the tree of life, lest they become immortal. Mm-hmm. So what do you think kept them sustained? Which is why I was saying that they might not have actually counted years at this point, because what just kept them sustained was the tree of life. So when I was in college, I had some science Christian professors, and they tried to make the case that there wasn't entropy. There wasn't a second law of thermodynamics yet in the garden. That was something that God, that something only that came about as a result of the fall. And I used to think this without thinking critically about it. I was like, I guess there was no entropy until I started really thinking about it, right? So... There, it talked about in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2 here, Adam's talking about it, about trees being given for food. So entropy, which is, is essentially basically things move from a state of order to a state of chaos. That's why the creation is such a cool event, because it goes from chaos to order. We don't see that ever. We talked about the, the finding a Ferrari in the, in the woods. You wouldn't expect it to just spontaneously created. That would be chaos to order. We don't see chaos to order unless there's something causing chaos to order, but we see order to chaos. 
when you eat something, you are it is an entropic process. It is taking a organized fruit, you are digesting it, it's literally being ripped apart. The chemical bonds are being ripped apart, are creating energy for you. And so I, I, I can't accept the idea anymore that there was no entropy pre-fall. Because if they're eating stuff, there was... There's literally entropy. There is entropy. And so I, 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 my theory, this is just Brian's opinion here, based on what Will was saying, is that the tree of life was, was essentially holding off decay. It was, and God uses things in creation all the time to do things, right? It's like Moses, use your, hold your staff up, water is part, right? It's all God's using objects in creation to, to manifest his power through. And I think the tree of life was something he was using. And that's why we'll talk about more in Genesis 3, but it was a merciful act that after Adam and Eve sinned that he didn't let them eat from the tree of life anymore so they wouldn't be immortally separated from God forever, Correct. So it was an act of mercy. So in my opinion, I think the tree of life is what was actually sustaining Adam and Eve, that without it, I think there would be normal aging process like we expect. Right. That's also, my opinion. I thought one of the really interesting things there, too, is the fact that, like, sin from the garden was an act of judgment, but it was also an act of mercy. So that way they didn't have to live, like you said, in eternity separate with, with dealing with the separation from God. It sounds like both and again, Will. Oh, both and. Man, <laughs> them Hebrews. Um, all right. So moving forward a little bit here, I want to talk about this as well. I want you guys to notice very carefully the names of the trees. I know this is so obvious, but we go over it because we're going to talk about this in our, probably in our next episode or the episode after that. But notice how it's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of it, not the existence of it. The knowledge of it. And they were forbidden from it. That's important because so many people, especially Protestants and especially the Reformed, completely miss this part and how important it comes in later in this narrative. Um, and by the way, I want to reiterate, this is my, this series we're going through is less Brian and I going, Hey, here's the different views, um, on this, uh, the, all of these can be legitimately acceptable in various different ways. This is also not you and I going here is biblically the exact thing. Cause like our alcohol video cuts that straight to the core, our Liberty video, there is no other biblical interpretation. Okay. These are the right ways to take this. This is his, this is fact at this point. This is literally me and Brian walking you through what is going to be considered orthodox teachings. And then where that we don't know the orthodox teaching or there isn't an orthodox hard position, we're going to give you our own view and opinion. So before people go, oh, my gosh, you guys never used to do this stuff before. Yeah, you're right. Be now we are. <laughs> We've showed the fact that we are more than willing to work in unity with people who disagree and that people can even have very good reasons to believe differently. But I will say this, that the, some of the most basic things in Genesis get completely missed by Protestants today. Completely. So moving forward, uh, he talks a lot about different uh, geographical locations and things that take place. But now I, I want to talk about uh, the next part here. So God put Adam and he took Adam, put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. Uh, and then he say, says, you may freely eat from every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You are not to eat from it because the day that you eat from it, it will become certain that you will die. Notice how the Hebrew Bible words this differently. Almost like the Jews know how to read their own text. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people 
get up worked up over the fact that they didn't just drop dead right when they took out the tree. Instead, right here we see it will become it's certain that you will die. So, what is the punishment? What is the punishment for for eating of the tree, Brian? What is it? It's death, but what does death mean? Physical death. He is specifically referring to uh, physical death, which is exactly why he says we must separate them from the tree of life, lest they live forever. So it's an act of mercy and of judgment, but they will die physically. This is not that weird Protestant way of saying that it's a spiritual death that this takes place. Not saying that there isn't a spiritual death that takes place, but that's a different, different discussion. So he's not talking about that in this text. Okay, and I know someone's going to go, well, can't it be a both and? That's never what this part was taken as. So let's not change the way things have been historically understood until the Reformation and suddenly <laughs> we all had an epiphany and realized everyone was wrong in the last 4,000 years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, sorry, that really bugs me when it's just like, no, no, everyone else the last like eons have been wrong. I finally discovered the great truth that God never revealed to the very people who communed with him in the tabernacle. I, can you hear my eyes roll? Can you hear them roll? Because they're rolling. I think it's cool to point out, too. So last time in Genesis 1, in verse 29, it said, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. So I think it's safe to assume, based on that and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that it had fruit, but it did not bear any seeds. And I think it was a, a tree that wasn't meant to replicate. It was just the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And I would probably could say the same thing about the tree of life, but it was something they were allowed to eat. Exactly. So all the ones with seeds, they were able to, the ones without seed, the two trees, they were not. So uh, for every person, uh, uh, yeah, they names all the livestock. Now we come to an interesting passage. God causes a deep sleep to fall upon the person while he was sleeping. He took one of his ribs and closed up the place where which he took it with flesh. The rib which Adonai God had taken from the person, he made a woman person and brought her to the man person. The man person said at last, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So she is to be called woman. So Isha is the Hebrew word for woman, which means out of a man. And Ish means man. So, um, so you have Adam and man. Okay. So man is the actual Hebrew word for referring to a man, like masculine. Okay. Not mankind, which is Adam. Okay. So, uh, interesting parts here. So with woman, uh, this, this part is really important. And of course there's like this catchy phrase people talk about with how the rib where, why it was not from his foot or his shoulder or whatever. But it is important to note, note the fact that she was made from his rib, which is by his side, close to his heart and able to be under his wing and protection. This is not an accident. So again, people who have left, because we're part of the RFP network, right? People have left the IFB, and which comes from an extreme um, headship view of how man, men work mm -hmm. and the relationship between man and woman. True complementarianism, they say they're complementarian, they're not. We've said that multiple times on this. True complementarianism recognizes that man and woman are different for different roles and different purposes. This is not an accident. He, the rabbis have pointed this out for ages, that it was there to be close to his heart, uh, by his side, and under his wing and protection, meaning it's his role. Mm -hmm. His role is to protect his woman and keep her by his side. Not as less than, but an equal to. 
but I do have a different role than you. And my role is to protect you, as the scripture says, a weaker vessel. Now, it's not talking about weaker in spirit. It's talking about physical strength, right? Mm -hmm. Scientifically, men have 40% more upper body strength, which is why Ronda Rousey is a beast, but she would get, and she has been clobbered whenever she's fought men because it's just, it's different physically, right? Yeah. It's not, and that's not saying, oh, that's terrible. You're awful, blah, 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 blah. Look, women are way better at multiple things than men are too. There's, there's things my wife does. In fact, there are multiple things my wife does. That's a hundred times better than me. And I always will tell people, you need to talk to Callie about that. I ain't got a clue on how that operates. Or yeah, and our perspective on complementarianism is equal in value and different in role. Yep. It's not more complicated than that. It's not extreme headship. And we see, we see Genesis right here showing that, right? Genesis 1, we saw equal in value. They're both created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them, right? Male and female, he created them. They are equal in value. We see that in the New Testament. We're talking about there's, there's no male and female under God. There, there's no partiality between man and woman. They are both made in the image of God. But then we see the difference of roles here. Adam, the headship. Adam is the one who's created first. Woman is made to be the helper. That's a different role. And then we also see in Genesis 3, right, we talk about childbirth. Then, so out of man comes woman, but then out of woman comes man. Different different role. And I don't think, even in 2021, I don't think we have to argue that only women can give birth to babies. <laughs> I don't know the way that's going nowadays. Uh, no, and that's exactly it. And that's the reality of duality that's in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Woman comes from man, and then man from now on came from woman. That's really cool. Now, also notice, Paul references in Ephesians 5 and multiple places, he references this very account, the creation account, as the standard for all marriages. And he extrapolates multiple things from this, meaning, okay, the man is the authority. Why? Because he came first. Does that mean the person was born first automatically has authority? No, what he's saying is that he came first, therefore he was given the stewardship and leadership. Notice that it was Adam that got the leadership and stewardship from God, mm -hmm. not Eve. It was Adam. And then he, she was given to him as a helper. And that comes and plays a major role in Genesis chapter three. Yeah. And also, you know, it says that he's trying to find a helper fit for him. And he's looking at all these animals and none of them are fit for him because none of them are equal to him in value in the image of God. Because they have souls, but they don't have the spirit mm -hmm. as we have talked about before. Um, then it is interesting. So he, and notice how Adams declares it. She is flesh of my flesh. Right. And then he says that she's Isha. She's out of a man. So again, he's making that reference because she's taking another man. This is why, and notice the role who leaves again. This is very specific. This is why a man shall leave his father and mother and stick with his wife there to become one flesh. Notice that difference there. He leaves father and mother. He's not, it's not even lecturing the woman. It's mm -hmm. saying, men, you need to be a man and become independent. This is literally saying, man, become independent, become a leader yourself, become the leader you need to be, separate yourself from mommy and daddy for a second and become the leader of your household. That is what this is implying here. And that's what is reflected all throughout scripture whenever this comes up. And people can get as upset as they want, say it's sexist, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying a man is unquestionable authority. The unquestionable authority is God, not man. Mm -hmm. You talked about this in your commentarian video that 
when when man is not acting in concordance with God's will, then it is the woman's right and ability to go, no, you're not acting as an agent of God right now. I.e. Deborah, mm-hmm. the only woman, the only person that apparently in Israel cared about following God at the time. None of the men would step up, so she did. Well, Barack was going to step up. He just like, well, can you come with me? <laughs> like I'm a really strong man as long as you're right with me helping me. Uh, I'm really scared of those people. Um, then yeah. the other thing I wanted to mention here is that notice how man and woman came from one flesh, right? She came out of the man. They were from one flesh. And then he told them to become one flesh. So the marriage act, for those of you who do not know, the marriage act is sex. I said the word. I'm going to have to do a different rating for our monetization on YouTube. Rated R. Thanks. That's it. (laughs) This act, though, is bringing flesh to flesh, bringing it back together. Mankind came from one flesh, and then they are to be brought back continually in one flesh. And notice how we're creating the image of God, man and woman, the masculine and feminine, the the order, right? You have have this different structure, then they both come together, made the image of God, reflecting God's perfect image to becoming one there masculine and feminine and we are pre-fall so this is how god intended the world to be mm-hmm. so don't give us this well all of this these gender role things are really from you know the sinful nature of man and blah 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 it it's this is pre-fall we're seeing complementarians in pre, pre-fall we're seeing the value of work pre-fall and we're seeing the value of marriage pre-fall Right. And I've seen people even say who I've read, you know, actually after reading Genesis one through three, I can't see complementarianism anywhere in there. I'm like, then you are one, you're overlooking some of the basic parts of the text. Number two, you are disagreeing again with eons of teaching from the Jews themselves. They said that that's the point. And actually even scholars and other people, Dr. Jordan Peterson and quite a few other people who have done series of this who are secular We'll point this out, that this is what the Hebrew is talking about. This is the what we would call the narrative, okay? Because that, we miss that. It, the scripture, ugh, okay, another tangent. The scripture is not just proof texts, where the text says what you want it to say, and it lays it out specifically. There is a narrative always being woven in the text. So sometimes in the, uh, as we will definitely see this in the next chapter, sometimes in a few statements, it can be very complicated. Just using one sentence can imply lots of things. And it's a part of Hebrew poetry. It's actually literally a part of Hebrew poetry. It's them using root words with reflecting similar roots to each other that are showing the, the poetry. And then also the theme coming together. That one statement having a lot of depth to it. It's why the, the fall of man has captivated societies for ages because there's so much depth in just one chapter. The more you dig at the Hebrew and the more you draw the parallels, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much here. Yeah, so it's so cool too to see that that woman is the only one that isn't created from the dust. She's created from man. Like you see this such a tight bond between man and woman here at the beginning. It's it's honestly really cool. And it's what we should strive for as those that are married. Because it's showing here what they should be. And the end of the chapter here, I think, really kind of gets into that. Are we ready to go into the yeah, let's go. next part? So then it talks about you know they they they're they're naked but they have no shame and one i think we talked about this in our modesty episode right that um that they had no shame because they had no sin yet they weren't 
they didn't have lustful desires. They weren't desiring things that were sinful. They were uh, in, um, appreciated the objective beauty that God bestowed in both of them as part of being in marriage. But I think it also, again, both and, we have a deeper meaning here where they had no shame because they had no things to hide. Right. Think about your marriage. Mine's far from perfect. Will's is pretty perfect. <laughs> if he says so, we'll have ninety-five percent perfect. <laughs> but we all have struggles in our marriage, right? And those are caused, I think, because we are hiding things from each other. We're not. We're not ever giving our full, unfiltered self to our spouse. We try really hard, but we also still have shame, right? There, there are things that you've done that you have not told your spouse you've done. Right? There's things that you're ashamed of that you just don't admit to everything possible right? because there's shame. And when there's shame, there creates separation. But we're supposed to be one flesh. Supposed to, this is supposed to be the, the tightest union possible that we see in creation. And besides the, tr- the triune God, this is inside creation. This is the tightest union we see. And we, we break that union by sh- through shame, through sin that separates us. We don't, um, we don't give our full self to our spouse and to feed off that a little bit men and women are physically connected not just through sex and through the how they were created but they're spiritually connected they are to use an eastern mythology term the yin yin to the yang right there the, it's the reality of duality now pagan dualistic thought is very different than the dualism we see in scripture very different okay so that i don't have time to get into that right now but one man and one woman here is being discussed, but notice we are to cling to our mates, not our parents. Uh, this is, all right, some unsolicited pastoral advice here. Here we go. Um, some, so many marriages struggle because the, the spouses still depend and rely on and lean on and cling to their parents, not their mates. When their husband and wife does something they don't like, they vent to their parents. When they want to do something, they first talk to their parents. They have this weird relationship, especially if you come from a close family. Uh, my wife came from a very close family. She was very close to her mother. And when they disapproved of our marriage, it made it very difficult for her. But she clung to me during that process, which was actually, it meant a lot because actually there's a person I dated before that whose parents didn't like me because we're talking IFB here, guys, and you all know what I'm like. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so then the ones before that, she could not accept the fact that they didn't like me. And it created a lot of problems in our friendship, in our relationship. And I was like, well, how, and I, it finally hit me. I'm like, this is dating. What am I doing? What's this going to do in marriage? Okay, I'm done. I can't do this because of that you have to leave and cleave and so make sure really that you separate from mom and dad this isn't in a way that you have to hate your parents this isn't a way you'd never talk to them again but you have to do that isn't that something that you and stacy oh yeah i go through well admit i struggled with this when we were engaged there were competing interests between stacy my fiance at the time and my parents um and I struggled with, I wanted to be peacekeeper, right? I was like, well, I can make both of them happy. Nope. Nope. And if I would have been following Genesis 2 more closely, I would have, I would have been going to the side of my wife, my fiance, and I didn't in a lot of cases. I do now. It took me some time, and it caused a lot of struggle. It caused shame. It caused separation. 
it caused us to not be as close as we could have caused a little bit of bad blood between us at times where my wife's like, what's going on? Aren't you on my side? And I'm like, well, I'm on everyone's side. Well, that's not a side at all. That's a fence sitter. <laughs> it's like, it's like, a ba- it's like a bad episode of everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. Like, really Raymond's was. trying to make everyone happy. And it's just not working. And this is not to say at all that my wife was being unreasonable. She was being very reasonable. Surprise, Stacy. I thought you were being reasonable. Maybe I never told I told you that, but anyways, <laughs> um, she won't watch this anyways, <laughs> but I, she was being reasonable and I was trying to play peacekeeper and I was, I was not leaving my parents for my wife. I had, I had competing interests and mm-hmm. it was causing a problem. I was not fulfilling my role correctly. And honestly, it took several years for me to figure out my role better. Am I perfect at it? No, but at least I think I at least have a better biblical understanding of it, which has helped a ton. Another great example of this. Uh, I wanted to mention here is I see this all the time with people in like the IFB or other groups. And again, this isn't me. Again, we have moved on from that, but I will mention it because we're part of the network. So I think it's okay to mention the IFB flippantly. Okay. Uh, we're not making digs at them. I'm actually, I think I'm making more digs now at Reformed Theology recently, but it's <laughs> fine. So, but the thing is, is that I've also seen this. I've seen it where they allow a father to control everything. Mm-hmm. I have a friend of mine from college was dating a girl, and the father was ridiculous. And I was like, why Why are you guys putting up with that? Well, we just, you know, we just want to keep the peace. I'm like, but you're letting him bulldoze, and you're not setting a precedence for your mar- marriage, man. Mm-hmm. You're telling him he can control you, you both of you, for forever, is what he's thinking. And if you don't start putting that foot down at some point, he's going to keep doing it. And I've seen this time and time and time again. And this is not – this is an overall problem with people in general. They'll – once they're engaged – when you're engaged, this should actually uh, – more unsolicited marriage advice. Uh, when you're engaged, that should be you guys literally starting to learn to act out your marriage. Because if you're not I – mean, you should be doing it while you're dating, by the way, too. I'm not saying you should be you know, living together and all that. But I'm saying that while you're dating, you should start learning how you guys function together as a marriage unit a little mm-hmm. bit. When you're engaged, you need to actually be pragmatically acting it out. And then when you're married, well, it's done. So you better start figuring it out before that. Mm-hmm. And if you're letting people already do that to you, you're not le- leaving and cleaving. Then you're going to have hell in your marriage. Um and I, I've seen it happen multiple times. I am blessed that my wife recognized the issue right away and was like, nope, I'm with you, and we got this. And she has been that way ever since. Um, and I am blessed to say the fact that, you know, I didn't have to deal, my wife didn't have to deal with that with me either. I was able to go, okay, this is mom and dad, this is how we work, this is how we operate. I know this is way, way out. There's a lot of, to talk about with this particular topic. But. Yeah, just it, it seems like the end of this is out of left field, but it really is all tied together with women coming out of man. And it's, it's, it's showing that marriage is, is essentially reenacting where that all began. Right. And I would agree too, Will, with, with my parents. I have actually a better relationship now that I cling to my wife and not trying to fence it and try to please both of them. It's actually amazing that having the proper hierarchy, the proper respect, the proper um, focus in my marriage meant that I had a better relationship with both my wife and my parents. Right. Actually, same here. My dad actually will be like, hey, you know, I want to get together with you sometime. Can you talk to Callie about that? Will this work? Hey, would you guys be okay with doing this? And, like, my dad's now a lot more respectful because he understands the fact that, well, William's no longer in my house, so I have to 
see if it's okay with both of them and see what we can do. And then he, he will even, it's really kind of funny as yeah, it's, it's almost kind of that, that cute dad thing where he's like, Hey, is this, would this be okay? Like he's kind mm-hmm. of all cautious with me and just cause he's like, Hey, I don't want to, I, I don't want to step in, in there cause I want you to leave and cleave. And other times I'm like, Hey, you know what? Kelly and I talked, I'm not comfortable with it or she's not comfortable with it. And he actually completely respects it. Cause when he realizes that, Hey, this is going on, it creates good unity in the family. Um, and that's actually coming from my dad and I actually had a struggling relationship off and on th- growing up. And now it's like, yeah, we get along pretty good. <laughs> like things go pretty well. Um, and I would even go as far as to say this includes not complaining about your spouse to your parents. Oh, yes. Don't do that. Don't complain. Uh, Don't actually, complain about your spouse to anyone. I was going to say, that's that's kind of, kind of a pet peeve of yours in general. Like oh, yeah. when people start causing vegging about their spouse, it's irritating. Yeah, if, if you know me and you're complaining about your spouse to me, I will be cringing. And if I know you well enough, I will tell you to stop. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, and rightfully so, because you shouldn't do that with your wife. Um, and then finally, I don't think I have to point this out, but I'm going to point out the very obvious. Okay, because nowadays I think we'd be murdered if we don't point this out. It was Adam and Eve. Not Adam and Steve, right? <laughs> and demonetized. <laughs> and like that, we get labeled as hate speech and all that good stuff and bullying. But this just shows what the original creation was. Also notice this. It was Adam and Eve and not Adam, Eve, Edith, uh, Eleanor, all the other women. <laughs> it was one man, one woman, under one God for one life. That is... That's science right there. Um, So we were all formed from the act of one flesh, all of us. So mankind started with the act of one flesh, woman coming out of man, and then we reproduce by becoming one flesh through one act and become man and woman through that act. And then with that act, we keep marrying one another, and that single family unit continues. There's a reason why this is considered God's perfect order at the beginning. This is God's perfect creative order. So this is before you see polygamy come along. This is before you see homosexuality come along. This is it. So um, I think that's just very important that we mention that because, again, Paul, if Paul mentions the hierarchy thing, like, hey, these are the different roles that take place in a marriage by using the creation account, I think it's fair to say that... uh, the gender of these people and or biological sex also plays the same role. And I think hopefully you all can see now after this video and the one before, this really is the crux of so many different doctrines. If you don't have a good understanding of Genesis, you're going to struggle. And I've said this on, I think, our apologetics group. Um, I don't think that you can have a true understanding of Christ if you don't have a true belief that Adam was a real person. Correct. Because we see this parallel of Jesus being the second Adam. He can't be the second Adam to a metaphysical, metaphorical thing. He's, right, an allegory, as Brenda from God is Grace said. Yeah, it, and I, so we can have a lot of unity and different understandings of, of creation, different understandings of Genesis 1 through 3, but I think where we have to have some foundational agreement is that Adam is real, Adam sinned, and the redemption of man, Adam, mankind, is through the second Adam, through Jesus, who is 
fully man and fully God, and that is how God was able to redeem through his, his omniscience of everything that would happen to be able to redeem it back and still restore a relationship with his creation. Absolutely. So uh, you have to believe, I do honestly, we have to believe in a literal Adam if you're going to take Jesus Christ literally too, because it refers to him as both. So anyway, guys, I hope this was helpful for you. Was there anything else you wanted to add? I, I think we yeah, covered. Yeah, we got the main points. I think I covered the main things I wanted to cover. So if you guys uh, want to pick up a complete Jewish Bible, by the way, very nifty, uh, might be very useful for your studies. Um, otherwise, thank you guys for tuning into the church split. Next, next episode, we will be discussing the fall uh, what is historically or whatever uh, since uh, Protestantism called the fall, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to discuss that. And, and we we're going to get into original sin. Yes. The doctrine of original sin is mankind, in fact, born sinners separated from God. We're going to talk about that a lot. Uh, the next Genesis chapter 3 might be two episodes. It's a longer chapter in general, and there's a lot in there. Yes. So anyhow, guys, I hope that's a good sneak peek. If you haven't already, leave us a spicy five-star review where you get to put down Brian for a change and bash him. It um, never happens. It never it happens. It's always happens. bashing me. It's <laughs> uh, fine. Always. I have on good authority tomorrow that there is a good troll meme of you coming out for, for Meme Friday. Wait, there's a Meme Friday? Mm-hmm. On RFP fam. Shouldn't it be Meme Monday? Nope. Keep that like meme, meme, Monday, <laughs> meme. And I'm looking forward to it. Oh, my word. <laughs> Do I even want to know who made it? It wasn't me. Was it Tabby? Nope. It's someone in the fam. It's Dan Mason. Nope. <laughs> nope. Okay. I'm, I'm lost then. All the people that I know that are complete and total jerks, uh, I just named off. <laughs> oh, all right, guys. Well, hey, thank you all for tuning in to the church split. Look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Don't forget to share this along if it's been helpful for you and support us on Patreon if you would like. All that money goes directly into the church split. And we have a special guest coming that you guys yourselves funded, which reminds me, by the way, Brian, I owe you a check. Yes, you do. All right. Okay, guys. <laughs> I funded so far. Then you're going to fund me yeah, back through the church. I've got to reimburse you. That's fine. That's fine. All right, guys. Take care and God bless.